It's Diane, and I'd like to read you to sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading you The Snowstorm and The Weary at Rest. Both are taken from stories and sketches by Harriet S. Caswell, 1872. The Snowstorm The event I am about to relate happened many years ago, but I have often heard it mentioned by those to whom all the circumstances were well known, and when listening to this story, I have often thought that there is enough of interest attached to many events which took place during the period of the early settlement of that portion of eastern Canada which borders on the River St. Francis to fill volumes where they recorded. The morning had been clear and pleasant, but early in the afternoon the sky became overcast with dark clouds, and for several hours the snow fell unceasingly, and now the darkness of night was added to the gloomy scene. As the night set in, the snow continued to fall in a thick shower, and a strong easterly wind arose, which filled the air with one blinding cloud of drifting snow. And the lights in the scattered habitations in the then primitive settlement of D could scarcely be distinguished amid the thick darkness. It was a fearful night to be abroad upon that lonely and almost impassable road, and Mrs. W. fully realized the peril to which her husband was exposed on that inclement night. He had set out that morning on foot to visit a friend who resided at a distance of several miles, intending to return to his home at an early hour in the evening. It was a lonely road over which he had to pass. The habitations were few and far between, and as the storm increased with the approach of night, Mrs. W. strongly hoped that her husband had been persuaded to pass the night with his friend, for she feared that had he been overtaken by the darkness of night, he would perish in the storm and the poor woman was in a state of painful anxiety and suspense. The supper table was spread, but Mrs. W. was unable to taste food, and, giving the children their suppers, she awaited with intense anxiety the return of her husband. The storm increased till it was evident that it was one of unusual severity, even for the rigorous climate of Canada, and as the wind shook the windows of their dwelling, the children often exclaimed in tones of terror, Oh, what will become of poor father if he is out in this storm? By and by the tired children fell asleep and Mrs. W. was left alone by her fireside. 
she endeavored to quiet her fears by thinking him safe in the house of his friend. But she could not drive away the thought that had he set out upon his return home, and she feared, if such was the case, he had met his death in that pitiless storm. She was two miles from any neighbor, surrounded by her family of young children, so all she could do was to wait and watch as the hours wore on. Sleep was out of the question, and the dawn of day found her still keeping her lonely vigil. As the sun rose, the wind calmed, but the thick drifts of snow rendered it impossible for her to leave the house, and she watched anxiously if anyone might chance to pass to whom she could apply for assistance in gaining tidings of her husband. Alas, her fears of the previous night were but too well founded. He had perished in the storm. His friend tried his utmost to persuade him to remain for the night when the storm began. But he was anxious to return to his home, fearing the anxiety of his family, and left his friend's house about four o'clock in the afternoon. The weather was intensely cold, as well as stormy, and owing to the depth of snow which had already fallen, he could make but slow progress, and, when overtaken by darkness and the increasing tempest, benumbed with cold and blinded by the whirling drifts of snow, he sank down by the roadside to die and the suspense of his wife was at length relieved by the painful certainty of his fate. About noon on the day succeeding the storm, as Dr. S. was slowly urging his horse onward in order to visit a patient who resided in the vicinity, he observed some object lying almost concealed in the snow. Stopping his horse, he left his sleigh to examine it, and was horror-struck to find it the body of a man. Thinking that, possibly, life was not extinct, he took the body into his sleigh, and made all possible haste to the nearest dwelling, where every means was used for the recovery of Mr. W. But all was of no avail he was frozen to death. It was the kind of physician himself who first bore the sad tidings to Mrs. W. When the lifeless body of the husband and father was born to his dwelling, I have heard the scene described by those who witness it as the most heart-rending. On the day of his burial, the settlers in the vicinity came from a long distance to pay their last tribute of respect to one who had been much esteemed as a friend and neighbor. The widow of Mr. W. is still living, but she is now of a very advanced age. 
His children grew up and settled in various places, and the elder ones among them retained a distinct recollection of the sad death of their father. The Weary at Rest The Weary at Rest this idea was very strongly oppressed upon my mind by a funeral which I once attended in the distant village of C. It was that of a very aged woman, whom I had often heard mentioned as one who had been subjected for many years to bodily suffering in no ordinary degree. I had never seen her, but was acquainted with many who visited her frequently, and I became interested from hearing her so often spoken of as a bright example of patience and resignation under affliction. And I was accustomed to inquire for her as often as I had opportunity. Owing to a rheumatic affection of her limbs, she had, as I was informed, been unable for several years to rise from her bed without assistance, and much of the time experienced severe pain. I was informed by her friends that through her protracted period of suffering, she was never heard to utter a complaining or repining word, but was found daily in a calm, even cheerful frame of mind. After a time, I left the village and returned to my home, returning thither to visit some relatives after a lapse of a few months. I met with a friend soon after my arrival, who informed me of the death of old Mrs. H., which had taken place on the day previous. Two days later, I joined the large numbers who assembled to pay their last tribute of respect to one of the oldest residents of their village. As is usual upon funeral occasions, the coffin was placed in front of the pulpit, and a large number occupied the front pews, which were appropriated to the friends of the deceased. In those pews were seated men in whose hair the silver threads were beginning to mingle, and women who were themselves mothers of families, who all met around the coffin of their aged mother. Childhood, youth, and middle age was all represented in that company of mourners. Their pastor, Mr. M., delivered a very appropriate discourse from the words, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. In the course of his sermon, he took occasion to remark that a funeral discourse should apply to the living not the dead. I had before listened to different sermons from this same text, 
but I never listened to a more searching application of the words than upon this occasion. Near the close of his sermon he said, I presume many of you are aware that I deem it unnecessary as well as unwise on occasions of this kind for a minister to dwell at length upon the life and character of the deceased, for, as I have before said, our duty is with the living. But upon the present occasion, I think I may with propriety say that we see before us the lifeless remains of one who has died in the Lord. I have been for many years acquainted with our aged sister now departed, and have ever regarded her as an humble and earnest Christian. I have frequently visited her during her lengthened period of suffering, and have felt deeply humbled for my own want of resignation to the ills of life. When I observed the exemplary mm -hmm. manner with which this aged woman bore her sufferings, which at times were very severe, and more than this, I stood by her dying bed, which I can truly say presented a foretaste of heavenly triumph. At the close of the service, permission was given for anyone who was desirous of doing so to look upon the corpse, and with many others I drew nigh the coffin. I had been told that the habitual expression of her countenance was one of pain, and I was surprised by the calm and peaceful expression which rested upon the face of the dead. There was no sign of past suffering visible, and the idea of perfect rest was conveyed to my mind as I gazed upon her now lifeless features. When the strangers had all retired, the relatives and near friends drew nigh to take their last sad look of the aged one, who in life had been so dear to them. It seemed that her age and utter helplessness had all the more endeared her to her children and other friends, and many of them wept audibly as they retired from the coffin. As the coffin was borne from the church, the choir sung in subdued tones, accompanied by the solemn notes of the organ, the beautiful hymn commencing with the lines. Thou art gone to the grave, but we will not deplore thee. Though sorrows and darkness encompass the tomb, the Savior hath passed through its portals before thee, and the lamp of his love is thy guide through the gloom. When the long procession reached the churchyard, the coffin was lowered to its final resting place, and the burial service was read by their pastor, and most of the company departed to their homes. I know not how it was, 
but although a stranger to the deceased, I was among the few her lingered till the grave was filled up. That funeral impressed me deeply, and has often since recurred to my mind amid the cares and turmoil of afterlife.